Amen. Wow. Well, this is the last of our Advent series. And most of you know that, and I've shared this before, there are a few new people here today. I left the church calendar years ago. But having said that, Advent simply means leading up to the birth of Jesus. And, and, and we've been talking about some of the things that God has given us leading up to the birth of Jesus. We started with Emmanuel, God with us. We started with how God has given us community. God has given us the gift and the ability to seek Him with all of our heart. God has given us so much. And today what I want to highlight, but yet I want to do something so totally different partway through today because of something that's on my heart. But God has given us the best present, the best gift ever, and that is His presence. Right? Okay. Having said that, how many are familiar with the writings of Josephus? Josephus was a historian. He was simply a Jewish historian who wrote historical facts. It's an interesting read. Josephus has several books, but my father-in-law, who was a tremendous history buff, was asking questions about God and asking questions about because he wanted to line it up with some proof that he could visibly find research and get his head and his heart around. It, it's kind of like in the Old Testament, we hear mention of the Hittites, the Hittites, the Hittites. And up till about the 1800-something, there was no biblical proof. Uh, there was no historical proof of the Hittites other than what was written in the Word. And they did this archaeological dig where they found all of a sudden this column, and on it made reference to the Hittites. Powerful, powerful nation. God had totally wiped them out. But their history was still recorded, and they found it. So it was things like that that bothered my father-in-law and really led him to this point where, if this is real, I want some proof. So he came over one night, and he said, do you have any writings on this guy named Josephus? I said, yeah, I got this big old 400-pound book. You can read it. And he just gobbled it up. But in that journey, he came to know Jesus. That was the beginning of him coming to know the Lord and Savior. God speaks in so many different ways, right? And Josephus, in, in, in uh, some of his writings in the first century, he records that during the Passover. Now, where I'm going with this morning is we talk about the shepherds a little bit. We've talked about the wise men or the magi. But we haven't talked much about the sheep. Uh, uh, uh. Okay. I'm not going to dwell there too long because I want to build on something here. But he recorded that, that at the time of the Passover, up to something like up to 265,000 lambs would be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. Wow, that's a lot of lambs. But there's more to the story because these shepherds who were out in the field were watching these very sheep. We don't really know, some of you may, but I did a deep dive on this and the research around the history around what these shepherds were doing and their responsibility was more than just some good old boys sitting out in the field around a little campfire with little sticks. Something bigger was going on. 
These little lambs, I found, had to meet these strict legal religious regulations because of the Jewish faith. And, and they had to be no more than one year old. They had to be male. They had to be without spot and blemish. In other words, those little lambs had to be perfect. And they had to be and were born and raised in incredibly controlled environments. And when they were born, when they were born, they were wrapped in strips of cloth to protect them. And then they were placed into these mangers, which back then probably were made out of stone. The imagery of Jesus being in a manger made out of wood is probably something that happened later in history in terms of how they rewrote it. But in those days, in that place, at that moment, it probably was rock because they did not have a lot of wood. So here's all these little lambs in these little mangers wrapped in swaddling clothes awaiting the priest to come and say yes or no. It's, that's, to me, that's kind of interesting. What's also interesting is that that the law also specified that these animals to be sacrificed had to be born within five miles of Jerusalem. So from Jerusalem to uh, Bethlehem, as a crow flies, is around five miles. So the entire terrain around Jerusalem on the mountains was basically one big sheep factory, an incredibly controlled environment. Protecting the sheep from invaders. from And these were perilous times for these people. Perilous times. We'll talk about that in a moment. Perilous times. So I'm sure they're protecting the sheep not only from wolves, and, but also from the banditos that wanted to steal the sheep because they were valuable. So here we have. Here we have the Lamb of God, who Jesus is called, Right? the Lamb of God. Here we have the Lamb of God born in the same place with the same treatments as the lambs that would be sacrificed. Hmm. Doesn't that make you go, hmm? Well, it does me, so hmm. So that's just a little bit about the sheep that these herders were watching over and protecting. They weren't just watching willy-nilly. They took this very, very, very seriously. But what do we know about the shepherds? Really, all we read in the story is the angel appeared to them, and they bolted, after they heard the good news, they bolted to see and to find out who this baby Jesus was. They wanted to see the lamb of the world. They wanted to see the lamb that would be sacrificed someday. They wanted to see, and they were so excited to share the good news. So Mario Murillo asks a question. Recently, he wrote a blog, and, and, and some of what I'm sharing comes from that, although I've modified it a little bit for us. But he says, who were those shepherds? Who were those shepherds in the field that night? And then he goes on to say, they are us. Their story is our story. Their situation is our situation. We share a common theme. We share a common enemy. Wow. Then he goes on to say, The terror that stalked their night is the very one that preys on the hopes of believers today. They are so much like us. Their future was sold to pay a debt to a foreign empire. In their case, it was Rome. Does that sound familiar? Now, hear my heart, guys. I am, uh, my heart is I want to be real at all times. 
We could tell fluffy stories about sheep and all the fun things and all that, but I have to be real with you. I have to be. And, and, and this morning, I'm not trying to preach dire predictions, or I'm not trying to, to take us into the doldrums. I want to give you hope, but I want to challenge your perspectives. So we talked about last week. So let me ask you a question. What do you want most for Christmas? What do you really want most for Christmas? And this, this question came up in my heart last week when I saw a response to a question that I asked. What do you want most for Christmas? I want to propose to you an answer. What we want most is some really good news. It would be so wonderful. It would be so amazing, so over the top for all of the unrelenting torrent of scary headlines and all the stuff that's coming our way. Dire predictions. It's all, it's coming at us like crazy, like warp speed. Wouldn't it be amazing if all of those disappointing reports got swallowed up in some really good news? How many say amen? amen. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> but here's another question. But what would be good news for you right now? What would be good news for you right now? What message do you need from God right now? In the moment that you're in, in the season that you're in, what do you need the most right now? What would you like to hear? What do you need? Again, I'd like to propose to you what we need in this moment more than ever is a visitation of God. It's easy to think that we want something else, the shiny new button, flash car, whatever. It's easy to think we need that. But I'm telling you, nothing would help us more. Nothing would help us better or do a better job right now in this moment because nothing can compare to his presence. The present of his presence, nothing can compare to that. And we have got to get our head and our heart around this as we move in to 2024. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We need His presence. I know from experience, and many of you I know know this too, and that is when, when the Spirit of God comes upon us or we feel His presence deeply, we know that fear, we know that worry, we know that anxiety melts away. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have experienced that? Yeah. Think about this for a moment. Here's the angels out in the field. I'm sorry, the shepherds. And all of a sudden, the angels come, and they really upend the shepherds' priorities. They really did. Because up to that point, they were focused on their job. They were focused on their responsibility. And the shepherds are sitting there just around the fire, maybe out in the field just doing sound checks. I don't know what they're doing, looking, hey, are everything okay? I, I, I don't know how it worked. But I know that they were focused, probably laser focused, huge responsibility. Again, they weren't just country bumpkins. They were, they were really, really intense and really focused on what they were doing. But the Word of God says in Matthew 6, we know this, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
But let's be honest, in the daily grind, it can seem like an impossible task. Life comes at us fast. Many of you have a huge sea of demands on your life. Many of you have many things that you're worrying about right now. It's huge. But think about this. Moments before the angels appeared, again, the shepherds, man, they were focused. And then all of a sudden, after the announcement of the angels, made by the angels, what did they do? They ran to the manger. And they were oblivious of the sheep that they were leaving behind. Something became greater than what they were doing. The presence of God shows up in their presence, completely alters the trajectory of that moment, and they bolt into town to find out what's going on. And they were so excited when they saw Jesus. They, it doesn't say they just ran back to the sheep. It says they ran and told everyone. Yes, I wrote, we have many needs in this moment, but at this moment, what we need most is the gift of his presence. Because in this house, one of our highest, deepest core values is that in his presence, everything changes. In fact, we have it written down that in pursuing his presence, we come to experience his love. In pursuing his presence, we encounter him through worship and intimacy. Through his, in pursuing his presence, we understand that the deepest cries of our heart are not only heard, but they're met. And we believe that when, when we pursue his presence, we are unwilling to say, I have gone far enough. I have learned over the years that in his presence, there's a glory that shows up. And, 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 and as we cause our, uh, cause our uh, which I, I should probably say, which causes our soul to gaze upon him, in that moment, we're distracted by his splendor. We are we're, we're just totally distracted by how beautiful and how amazing he is. And in that moment, God comes and he seems to fix those things in our lives that needed to be fixed. You know... I'll be honest, and I'll say this. Most modern pulpits today, I think they've done a great disservice by focusing too much on how-to Christianity. Too much. We spend, and we're taught to just look at yourself, take care of yourself. But listen, it seems right, and, and, and it seems really positive to get teachings on relationship, teaching on finances, money, and, and, and how to handle emotions, it, it, it seems good, and I know there's wise counsel in all that, but the problem is we have been taught that we need to handle our own lives, that we need to fix ourselves. And, and, and I've even heard this one, the onus or the responsibility or the burden in your life is on you. Get yourself fixed. And it's on you and you alone. It's not true. We can't do this alone. Even the law, even the law, really, when you cut through all the chase, was designed to show us that we couldn't do it without God. We can't. We need God. 
We need the gift of his presence in our lives. Guys, if you go down this road that the onus of all this is on you, this is the bait of Satan. I'm telling you, it's a big bait. He, he wants to get us to battle by our own wits and not by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But in his presence, everything changes. When we pursue and step and walk into his presence, everything changes. And God takes care of those things if we allow him to do it. Here's a question. In the story of the shepherds, why did God skip over all the theologians, all those teachers of the law? Why did God skip over the priests? Why did God go completely over the top, send these angels completely over all of that to the shepherds? Now, if you have the answer to that, email me and let me know. I'm still pondering that, but think about how embarrassing to all those who were in power, to all those who made a life out of studying the prophets, who made a life out of reading the times, who made a life out of being in the know, they were overlooked in favor of some lowly shepherds out in the field. You know, you and I, we're constantly trying to qualify for something. We're trying to qualify for something in our, uh, maybe, maybe a career change or some kind of status in something, maybe a credit card. I mean, we're all trying to qualify for something at some point. But are we truly qualified for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What are we doing to create a landing pad for the Holy Spirit to come? What are we doing to say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That was the cry that invoked Jesus to stop and go, who said that? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped out of, out of the cacophony of voices and people in the crowd, hey, Jesus, Jesus, everyone was hollering for him. Everyone wanted to touch. But there was something in that man's heart that cried out, that tuned right into God, and God tuned into that. I think that has something to do with creating a landing pad. But here's a paradigm shift I want to challenge you with. What if this season that you're in, what if the moment right now that you are in that really seems super hard, maybe it seems like there's not a good outcome coming your way. Maybe it just seems to be a tremendous burden right now in your lap. What if you're in that moment? But let me ask you something. What if these are not the bad times? Maybe the bad times were back when you had money. Maybe the bad times were back when you had all the toys. You had it all together. And maybe you thought you were in the know. Maybe that was really the bad times. And now, maybe in these hard times, we're going to get there in a moment, Maybe all of a sudden you find yourself valuing those around you more highly. Maybe you're finding yourself hugging your children or those close to you even closer. Maybe you're finding yourself singing. Maybe you're finding yourself worshiping God in ways you never imagined you would do. Maybe you're praying more deeply and you're trying a little more harder to be more humble and grateful for everyone around you. Maybe instead of suffering, you're merely, merely getting ready 
I, I wrote, sorry, getting into a position to be visited by God. So maybe again, I'll say it. Maybe instead of suffering, you are merely getting into position to be visited by God. So maybe we should stop for a moment and just thank God for our circumstances. You have been born, I've preached this many times and shared this, you have been born for such a time as this. Every single one of you in this room, God chose for this moment in His story. There is a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. So maybe again, let's just stop and let's thank God for our circumstances. Again, because we have been born for such a time as this. And the trials and the things that you're going through right now at this moment, maybe they are preparing you for your destiny. So when it comes to trials and temptations, is this why James says in James chapter 1, consider it pure joy? My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. To me, that sounds like the total sum is also including His presence in and through your life. So maybe if we just take this route of pursuing His presence while all this is going on, we will come to this place where at some point we'll be not lacking anything. I think the greatest gift that God has given us is the gift of His presence. One of the saddest moments I wrote in the account of the birth of Jesus is when there is no room at the end for Mary, for Joseph, or the soon-to-be-born Savior of the world. Too many people today still have no room in their heart for Jesus. But we, like the shepherds, if we are like them and they are like us, if we have experienced the good news, we need to go and let those people know that, hey, 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 there's room at the end. I will make room for you. There's room at the end. Come follow me. I'll show you a better way. I will introduce you to someone who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. His name is Jesus. That's what we should be doing. You know, I, I want to be like the shepherds. And I want this season, I want to be running towards others to tell them the good news. If we don't go, who is? God is calling us to go and to share with others. And that's all of us. Now, I'd like to say amen, I'm done, that was a short little sermonette, but at the end of the day, the prophetic side of me says I need to go a little deeper. Can I? It'll only be another two hours. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there are elephants in this room that are keeping people from wanting to run and tell others about the goodness of God. Last week when I asked you guys to stand and, and then I asked about some stuff going on in your lives, 
It didn't amaze me, but it was like, oh my goodness. I want to see all of us unshackled. I want to see all of us free to run to as many people as we can and to share the good news. But it's really hard when you're shackled by something, isn't it? It's really hard when something's holding you back. It's like when you're riding a quad or a dirt bike, that's just me, in the woods, and you come to a big tree in the trail, do you just turn around and go back? Or do you find a way around it? I find a way around it. So I want to know what's farther. I want to know what's around the corner. I'm not willing to say, I've gone far enough on this trail. I want to get to the very end and see what's happening. And I think you should too. But I want you to go back because we're going to revisit. Go open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Or excuse me, Luke chapter 1 verse 28. And we're going to go back and revisit the birth of Jesus being foretold. And I think it's really important we understand a particular passage in this passage, a scripture verse that if you can get your head and heart around it, it will rock your world. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 28, the angel went to her, Mary, and he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. This is where we started this series basically at. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It had to have been terrifying for Mary. But all of a sudden, the Lord is with you. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. Wow. Try get your head around that. So did Mary know? Mary, did you know? Of course she did. She was told right here. How will this be? Great question. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, shadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. 37. For no word from God will ever fail. Say that with me. For no word from God will ever fail. Then Mary said, "I I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is, now, this is something I learned from Dutch Sheets a long time ago, and it's powerful. How do, we get, how do we get the word to come alive in our lives? Let's move on. Today, I want to encourage you as you continue to endeavor to pray for, and this is what I saw last week, the prodigals in your life. That as you endeavor to pray for your unsaved family or friend, Members, people you know. How many have a burden for unsaved family members? How many have prodigals or know of someone who has a prodigal in their life that definitely needs to come home? Or perhaps you've been praying for that miracle that you need in your life. Maybe it's a healing. I I, I don't know. But I know that all of us have needs. In verse 
37. Highlight this. Write it down. Put it on your refrigerator. I don't care, but get it. Maybe make a phylactery and tattoo it to your forehead. I don't know. But whatever works, get it out there so you're constantly seeing it. For no word from God will ever fail. I mean, the angel makes this powerful statement. No word from God will ever fail. This is right out of the word of God. This is being spoken through the angel, but by God himself. He's just sharing what God said. So the angel is saying to Mary, he's saying, the words that I'm speaking to you are God's words. Therefore, they have the power to perform this miracle. This miracle, Mary, because God said, he spoke it, it will happen. Whether, whether guys, whether, whether it be an angel speaking uh, God's word, or, or as it was here, uh, as it was here, or maybe a prophet or intercessor, or somebody who's walking and talking with God, no word that God has ever spoken is without power. Write that on your heart. No word that God has ever spoken is without power. There is nothing more powerful than speaking forth God's word and using it as a weapon against the enemy. Some of, some of you know that, but Hebrews also encourages us, uh, or in Hebrews, it encourages us to hold firmly to our confession of faith. And this is where I want to dive a little bit deeper here. Hebrews 4.14, you may turn there really quick, but Hebrews 4 is talking about Jesus being our high priest, and it makes reference of the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword able to pierce and to go into places that nothing else can go. Now, as an old meat cutter, I know sharp. I know sharp. But the word of God is able to go. But it is, is the reference here really just the written word of God, or is it what God speaks? Or is it both? I think it's both. But Jesus is our high priest. It also makes reference to how much and how deeply Jesus knows each and every one of us. He, he knows the secrets of our heart because he's able to get there. He knows what we're going through, but he also incarnated as a man, and he came and he struggled with the same things that we struggle with, so he knows the struggles that we go through and what we struggle with. So what did he do? Then he returns back to heaven, and now he's our high priest interceding for us. So he knows. And it says, seeing, in verse 414, seeing then that we have a, high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Well, what does that mean? Hebrews 10, 23 says almost the same thing. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, in the Greek, this word confession is the word uh, homologia or homologia, and, and it simply means to say the same thing. So confessing our faith in God is literally saying what he says. The power of words. So this is how our faith is released, by saying what God says, which is never without power. It's so simple. We make it so complex and so hard. 
Simply say what God is saying releases the power of God. I, I, I remember one time we were preaching the gospel down on G Street and 6th downtown, and, and I've shared this story before, but we were preaching the gospel and sharing Jesus with people, and this it's now the Laughing Clam, but it was a bar at the time, and I remember this guy coming out. This guy was huge. And had a, had a big old beer mug in his hand. And these sisters are standing there and they just walk up to him and just say, God loves you and, and, and God has a plan for your life. And all of a sudden, he started mocking them, saying some really lewd things. And I remember Howard Callis, great big guy. He was with us. Howard walked up to this guy. And Howard was an old street guy up in Seattle. So he was a fighter at heart. But he walked up to this guy and he pointed right at his heart. And he said, how dare you mock the daughters of the living God? He quoted a historical moment from the Word of God. David, how dare you mock the armies of the living God? I'm going to rip your head off, Goliath. And that's not exactly what he said, but you get the imagery. And Howard just pointing a finger at the guy, and the guy just froze. I mean, literally, he just froze. And these girls just started giving these prophetic words. You have a family, and they love you, and they are at home wondering where their daddy is. And and. You just had to stand back for a moment because you looked up towards the window of, of, of the bar and here's all these faces pressed against the bar like, this didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. And I remember this big guy, I don't even know his name, he just drops this beer mug and it shatters. And he bent over and he just started sobbing and sobbing. And they just started just sharing the love of Jesus with this man. And he finally kind of scampered and went around the corner down 6th Street, disappeared, never saw him again. Speaking the word of God, release the power of God. Totally changed that man's life. I hope that man is walking with Jesus today. I don't know, but I just know that the power of God changed that moment because Howard spoke firmly and spoke forcefully what the word of God says. How dare you mock the daughters of the living God? So in this moment, I want to encourage you to say what God says about your prodigals. Look into the word, gaze into the word, and find out what it says about your, un, your, your unsaved family members or your unsaved friends. See what it says about the miracle or the healing that you need. And, and what's interesting is both of these verses in Hebrew also told us or tell us to hold fast to saying what he says. So the word of God is telling us to hold on. It's telling us to keep on holding and to hold on with all of your heart, with all of your might, with everything in you. Why? Again, we're back to no words spoken by God are without power. So if God said it, you hold on to it. You grab it. You hug it. You write it on something and plaster it on your refrigerator, your, your mirror in your bath. I don't care how you do it, but get that word in front of you. Hebrews 4.14, I wrote here, actually occurs in the context of prayer. And two verses later, down in verse 16, it says, Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We are told to come boldly to the throne, where we will receive mercy and we will see, receive grace in our time of need. How many of you are in a time of need? Yeah, I mean, be brave in a time of need. How many of you know someone who's in a time of need? 
I think we all know someone like that. So, as you pray, God is saying, hold on to saying what I say with all of your might, with all of your strength, which will release the power of my words and my promises. You want to release the power of God? Speak what he's speaking. Don't go back to some book you read. You know, I read a book once. It said da-da-da-da-da-da-da. The words of man will not hold the water that the words of God will and do. There's some good things written by man that were inspired by God, but if they're not God's words verbatim, I don't think they hold the same power. God's word holds the power. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Unswervingly, without wavering. The point is, stand straight up. Be firm. Don't let anything knock you off balance. And if you're leaning, you're not going to stay on target. So stand up. Stand up. Be bold. And, 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 and if, again, if you get off course, it's because you're leaning one way or the other. You're wavering in what God said. God said it. God spoke it. I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to hold on to it with all of my heart. And you will see the power of God released in your life and in your situation. Here's what the Lord says about your prodigals. Here's what the Lord says about your family members and, 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 and even the things that are going on that you need in your own life that you know about. Maybe the miracle, whatever, the healing. Turn with me if you would and we'll finish this out. Jeremiah 31, 16. So in the context of God spoke it, there's power in it. And we have to release it by speaking the word forth. Amen? Now remember, the context here is that no word from God will ever fail. No word. Jeremiah 31, 16 says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. I believe in the power of prayer. And here's what I want to do in this moment. I want to give you an opportunity to, if you know of someone in your own family, maybe you have a prodigal. Maybe you know of another family who has a prodigal that they've really been praying for. I'd like you to stand right now. Just stand. If you are in a moment where you have a need in your life, maybe it's a miracle, something isn't lined up, it's just not working, and you need it. You need God's presence to intervene. Stand. That's you. Just stand. Okay. Here's what I want to do. I want you guys to get in groups of maybe four, six, whatever you're comfortable with, and I want you guys to pray over each other because all of you, if you're following Jesus... You've got the goods. You've got what it takes. You don't need the man or the woman of God to be the only oracle. It's not about me. It's about you. 
So here's what I want. Just gather in some small groups right now. Four would be comfortable. That's comfortable. Yeah. If four's odd number, you can get six. And I just want you to begin to pray for one another. You don't have to get super descriptive unless you want to, but just pray for each other. Confess your heart. Confess what's going on. God's word says even in that there's healing. And, and if you don't feel like you have anyone around you, maybe you could go pray with someone else, whatever. I, I'm not trying to strong arm anybody, but... Just go for it, guys. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. 